7 to 8 p.m. Sport on with Tabiso Musia. The Gemma, what a personality. I mean, if you just check his journey, you can see from a long time the guy has had a, a big impact. He could do everything. A legend of the airwaves. And what brought me closer to him is because he's a Sundown supporter. He's been part of Sundowns. It was good that um, me and Shupi decided to, to pay him uh, a visit and, be, and give him respect. We took the Telcom Cup, the latest cup we won. We took it to him. We lost one member in the team. We are saddened by, by him passing on. We would like to say to his family, so our deepest heartfelt condolences. May the Jammer's soul rest in peace. His work uh, will forever be remembered. Good evening, everybody, and thank you for staying with us on SAFM and for joining us on SAFM Spot On with me, Tabiso Musia, Katlecho Mudiba, and uh, Timothy producing the show with Patrick Munana in a technical. I think it's only right that we opened with that clip from Coach Pizzo Musimane, who was also paying tribute uh, to the late Bob Mabena, who was remembered today in a memorial service that was live on uh, SABC TV. And of course, Bob Mabena was a big Sundowns fan and um, they actually even brought the Telcom knockout trophy uh, to him um, last year. Was it last year when Sundowns took it to him at Power FM uh, where Bob Mabena was after after they won the Telcom knockout and I think it was great for Sundowns to honour him while he was still alive. I mean, little did you know that a couple of months later we will be without Bob Mabena in our lives. So it was important just to highlight what Coach Pizzo Musumane had to say. And also actually when I was still on the other radio station, um, just after Sundowns had won the Champions League, or was it 2017? I remember Bob Mabena asking for a Sundowns jersey and I put a call through to Tulani Tuswa, who was the media officer of Mamelodi Sundowns to make sure that it happens. And it did happen. Tulani made sure that Bob Mabena gets his Sundowns jersey because Bob Mabena was saying that if they don't give me a jersey, I was going to go and buy it myself. And I said, no, but you are Bob Mabena. You can't be buying a jersey here. They need to give you a jersey. And they did deliver. Uh, so Bob Mabena may his soul rest in peace. And once again, our condolences to his family. Um, tonight on the show though uh, we are continuing our conversations of the past few weeks about the state of cricket in South Africa especially the challenges faced by black cricketers in this systematically white environment uh, that is South African cricket a number of former and current players have shared their stories of racial injustice and discrimination in the wake of the Black Lives Matter movement last week we heard from uh, Robbie Peterson uh, who's now coach of course he revealed how he was called the k-word by his idol um, when he was uh, playing cricket and we also Head from former SA cricketer Vince van der Bale, who told us why he stands with his fellow fast bowler Lungin Gidi and why he thinks that black lives do matter. So, tonight on the show, we'll speak to former Proteus fast bowler Monde Zondeki. He's part of the group of players that wrote a letter to express and show support to Lungin Gidi, and uh, they were also in a meeting there uh, with the Cricket South Africa. He'll tell us which meeting he was part of because there were a number of meetings over the past few weeks, and we'll want to find out from Monde how are these meetings going. Are they satisfied with how these matters are being addressed and most importantly what is the outcome what is it that they want to achieve and, and then after we speak to Monde Zondeki we've also invited on the show South Africa's former ambassador to the US and former premier of the Western Cape uh, ambassador Ibrahim Rasul he also has strong views on what is happening right now or the revelations that have been made over the past few weeks by black cricketers in South Africa and he believes that we need a TRC so we've invited him uh, just to get his views here and uh, to also also find out from him what is the way forward. If you do want to weigh in on our conversations tonight, you can call us on 0891-104207. Our SMS number is 41391. Let me repeat that studio line, 0891-104207. Or you can SMS us to 41391. Our WhatsApp line is still down, unfortunately, uh, but I believe that it will back soon, very, very soon. That's what we've been told by management. So we'll stick to the calls and the SMSs for now. And after the break, we speak to Monde Zundek. Tabiso Musia on SAFM. Here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 104.3 FM in Rustenburg. At SAFM Radio and at Tabiso Musia on Twitter. And he joins us on the line, Monde Zondeki. Those who know him very well, they reckon he's the coolest man in the world because he's so laid back and he's so chilled, Monde Zondeki. Monde, good evening. Thank you for speaking to us on SAFM tonight. Uh, 
thank you for having me. Good evening to you too and, and your listeners. Thanks, Monde. What's Monde been up to? How's how's lockdown been? Ah, I uh, think just like for most people, eh? especially when you are involved in sports, and there's no sport, so it's been a bit tough. Been stuck at home, uh, but yeah, I understand it's for the good reason to stay safe and and all those things. But yeah, it's been tough, I guess, for for everybody involved in, in this thing. It's not easy at all. Mm. It's a huge adjustment, but uh, we're trying to make it. Yeah. And you're still involved in cricket? Uh, yes, I am. Uh, I'm still involved in youth cricket. With, I'm a selector for the South African under-19 team. Mm. Uh, well, I was last time I checked. I, I don't know what's going to happen now with this new pandemic and with the new management. Uh, and then, so I've been doing that for the last four years. And then I, I do commentating for Supersport, um, mostly on domestic cricket. Yes, yes, we've had some of your commentary. They love it. Love to hear Monde Zondeki on TV. But let's talk about the matters at hand, Monde. You also added your name to the list of former players who stand with Lungingidi. Why was it important also for you to be part of this group? It was very important for me personally to um, to support Lungi. I, I, I thought I didn't see the backlash coming when he um, had spoken about Black Lives Matter and wanting to... Um, bring it to the fore in South Africa, because if you remember correctly, after the death of George Floyd, um, the world basically considered enough. Um, they were in support of black Americans who obviously experienced a lot of racial inequalities, especially coming from the police. Um, so it really is about police brutality in America, which I do follow a little bit. Uh, and I, I, I thought that Lundi was doing a good thing um, and joining the rest of the world in condemning um, racism, especially in the police in America. So I was taken a bit back when um, some of the former old white players came back and had a huge go at him on social media. Um, and I remember Ashwell Prince actually was on Twitter and people were coming at him as well because mm. he was trying to lend his support. Uh, so I called Ashwell and I'd asked him what we can do because I think that this whole backlash that's coming is very unfair to not only Lindsay but to you and you know, to people that understand what the cause is about, because um, I thought, I, I certainly do think I understand what it's about. Um, equality everywhere, not just in America, but including in South Africa, and others are going to talk about cricket specifically here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so after that, um, a few of the black guys came together and we tried to show our support to that. We felt that he was being um, heavily criticized in, in the social media circles uh, for for something that he was trying to do that was good, uh, something positive going forward. Mm. And, so and that's why we hopped on and we all signed on. Yes, and, and what do you hope to achieve with this group? Or as the group? Uh, well, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what, because uh, I, I haven't been involved in, in, in the latest discussions, but I know in the beginning, the whole point was we had to support Lungi. Uh, we feel as that is. And you can see now with the stories coming out that a lot of guys, while they were playing, had faced um, some racism in some form or discrimination. And we felt that it was unfair for all the players. I, I didn't get any criticism for any of the current players playing um, who were criticizing him. So my initial thing was, yeah, I'm trying to show him that I support what he's, what he's doing and we've got his back for sure. He's not alone in this. Um, and then in terms of going forward, mm. Um, some guys have obviously decided to take it upon themselves to talk about their own stories and their own issues and what they experienced. Uh, but I think going forward, and I think we'll talk about it later, is to to try to see what we can do as former players, that we can make it easier for the next generation, that they don't have to go through what a lot of what the other guys have talked about and what you know what they went through personally on their own personal terms and how they felt. We've seen that there have been meetings over the past few weeks. We even heard from Hussein Manak when they met with the sports ministry. They also met with CSA. Have you been in any of these meetings? No, I was. I was the only one I've been in so far. Um, there was a Zoom meeting through the uh, Mr. Katranda Katranda the foundation, foundation. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I remember one of the late Hills. Mm. So he's got a foundation, and they decided that they wanted to, to have a conversation uh, about the very topic. So it was a Zoom meeting, and it was put up for. Anyone can actually go in and, and, and have a watch and watch it if they wanted to. Mm. Um, so it was me, Robin Peterson, and JP Dumini were the three players. And then Dr. Musaji, who has been a manager for, yes. doctor and a manager for South African teams uh, for many years. So he would know a lot of the things that happened and transpired within the time. And he was part of management, so he knows the things that some of the players didn't know about.
Mm-hmm. Um, so we had this conversation about basically that, what you experienced, um, and what we can do. More importantly, I think, uh, going forward, how can we improve the lives of the current players um, and make sure that uh, the next generation of players don't go through what uh, some of us went through. Yeah. And... And, and for you, Monde, what do you make of the stories that have been shared over the past few weeks by these former cricketers and even current cricketers? I mean, Eddie Lee is still playing and he was on this show and he was sharing his experiences with us. So it, it, it's been a bit of a lot. I haven't caught on everything. Um, I was a bit taken back about the Makaya one initially mm. because I, I had gotten there 2002, so I was a very young man at the time and he was starting to become one of the senior players. Um, I remember when he said he used to run back from the hotel. So I, I had seen it once when he was in the West Indies. Um, he had run back to the hotel, and I used to I used to tell him not to uh, not to do that because he's going to show me up because people don't expect me to follow Nakai's footsteps and everything he did. Mm. And I was in the bath, and he was, and I used to joke around with him about that. Um, but I didn't realize it was something he had picked up, a habit he had picked up, because of how lonely and how out of um, touch. He was in terms of his personal relationships with his teammates. So that's was something I didn't know. And I, you know, I, I thought, because we've spoken about a lot, Makai and I, um, during our playing days and after, about what was happening during our time and the things that happened afterwards. Um, so he's, I've been someone that he's, he's spoken to a lot about those things. And, and I know he's always had some sort of um, pain that he, he went through. But uh, And he told me about it. But we were running back to the hotel part. I never... Never really knew about uh, until now that he said it, and I didn't know the reasons behind it until now, which is very sad to be honest. Because mm-hmm. I know during the playing times, um, Lance Schuler wasn't there for long, but him and Lance were very good friends. When I got there first, um, they're always in the back of the bus clowning and making jokes. But ironically, Lance Schuler could speak his Zulu, so mm-hmm. that was what was common between the two of them. And I think he could feel like he could relate to Lance Schuler, and nobody else in the team could um, until I got there. And now when you're hearing him share these stories, Makai and Dini, does it all add up now? Does it make sense, what he's saying? Yeah, so I, I, I've, as I said, I've caught bits and pieces of it. I haven't caught all of it um, because some of them have been early in the morning and I've missed some of them on morning live and stuff. Uh, but certainly uh, the running back part, yes. Um, the getting retired part, um we really felt like he shouldn't have been left out of the team. I can sort of understand. My only pushback would be there were certain white players who were given the privilege of retiring when they wanted to, and they shouldn't have gone on to play longer. Mm. Um, but because there were legends in the game, they were sort of allowed the opportunity to say, I'm going to retire when I want to, and they were given that opportunity. Uh, but there were also some other white guys who um, weren't given the same opportunities. Uh, so I certainly understand what he's saying from that point of view, the legend that he was. Um, but also, you, you have to go into personal relationships and who he was cool to within the team and those sort of things make a factor. But so, for sure, when he talks about getting told to retire, basically, um, I understand exactly where he's coming from. Do you, do you understand the loneliness that you felt? Is it something that you can relate to as the other black player in the team at the time? I can't say I can relate as much as he can because I think South Africa was in a very different place in 1997 when he first came onto the team. Um, I think if you remember correctly, at the time in 1997, there was a lot of senior wildcard team. It was a very old team, very experienced team, and Hansi was the, was the captain. Um, the younger guys in 97 would have been the Mark Pouchers and maybe the Herschel Gibbs. So there weren't too many young guys. So if you think about the mentality of the older people back then, um, I think the, the younger the generation gets, I think the race, race relations get better in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so certainly in 97 and 2002, before I got there, I can certainly understand if he felt um, the way he felt, actually, I, I, I certainly understand because it would have been a very tough environment. And also he was the first black guy, so I don't know if those guys knew how to relate to black people at the time. Um, themselves, not being around black people very often, I wouldn't imagine. Um and I remember uh, our coach at the time, Richard Pybus, when I was at board, I told me a story. I think that he actually clicked with me when he told me about Makaya. He used to come back crying from camps. Mm. Um, he used to have tears in his eyes because of the way he felt that he was getting cheated at when he was in camp with the South African team when they traveled away together. Um, so that story certainly rang a bell in my head when, 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 he, when he spoke about loneliness. Um, I remember Pybus clearly telling me that 
I was selling the car as about those things. But I was lucky that I got there when he was there. Mm-hmm. Um, so and Silicon Gun had been there before that. Mm. Um, and I think it was sort of getting getting to, to become a bit of a younger team. There were still a lot of older older guys, but there were certainly more players of color by the time I got there. There was the Antongs, Robert Peterson was there, Charles Langefeld. Um, so there was a lot more people that I could relate, relate to as a player of color than when Makai got there. So I, I certainly understand that he went through a lot tougher time than I did uh, when I got there. For those who are just joining our conversation, we're speaking to former Proteus fastballer Monde Zondeki just about what's been happening over the past few weeks. Uh, we have been having these conversations every Thursday now uh, on here on SAFM Spot On. I think this is part six or part seven. If six, six, yeah, that's what the producers are saying. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, but if you want to, if you have a comment or you want to weigh in, you're always welcome to call us on 0891-104207 or you can SMS us to 41391. We'll also speak to Ambassador Ibrahim Rasul after this break. He's calling for a Sports TRC. After we finish with Mondezondeki, we'll speak to Ambassador Rasu. I'm Sishazigalala, the Premier of KwaZulu Natal. In August, every year, we commemorate Women's Day and Women's Month as a fitting tribute to the struggle waged by South African women against the oppressive apartheid system. We remember women of all racial groups, led by struggle stalwarts Lillian Gui, Helen Joseph, Rahima Musa and Sophie Williams. It was on August 9 in 1956 that the women stood united as a solid rock against oppression and coined the phrase, Watinta Abafazi, Watinta Imbogoto. You have struck a woman, you have struck a rock. As we commemorate Women's Month, we encourage all women to pause and reflect about the important role they have to play as we continue to build this country. Let us grow KwaZulu Natal together. Sport on on SAFM. Still talking to Monde Zondeki just about uh, the state of cricket, what's been happening in South African cricket. And we actually even started these discussions before Lungingidi spoke out about Black Lives Matter. Some of you might remember that's when we spoke to Aaron Pangiso and Jeffrey Toyana. And I just think after that, then it just went into overdrive when Lungingidi uh, spoke. Monde, I, I read somewhere that you said that you were once told that for you to get a proper chance in the Proteus team, you have to wait for Makaya to, to move aside. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I did mention that. I, I had a conversation with the coach um, at the time. Uh, I'm not just, I'm not going to name any names of the people that I, I thought cheated me unfairly. I just it's not about them. It's really about the stories. Mm. Um, so, yeah. So um, it happened is that after I had a really good season with the Clovers, um, I took the most wickets. I think I still have the record of the most wickets in the season in, in, in the four-day competition. I got picked again to play for South Africa, but I was pretty much a squad player. Um, so there were five seniors and I was basically the fifth guy. Uh, three five-guy seniors in Makaya, Stain, and Morkel, and then Andre Nair was the fourth and I was the fifth. Um, so, um, yeah, so after my, my really good season, I was, I was again picked and um, I was basically told. I don't know how he meant it when he said it to me, mm-hmm. but to me, I took it as, a, okay, so I'm just here to replace the other black guy when he's done. That's how it felt like he was saying those of these words, that's how I interpreted what he was saying. Because um, I, you know, I'm not going to be arrogant about who I thought I was or whatever. I was a confident bowler when my form was good. I thought I could bowl as fast as anybody um, in the team. And I thought if I was having a really good season, then surely I should be able to play with Makaya in the same team, even if, you know, if someone else is injured or someone else is going through a bad, bad patch. Um, so it felt that way to me. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so that was it. But I also just wanted to mention, sorry, because you asked me about the other players. Yeah. The other two guys that I wanted to mention before, sorry, you asked me that question was, I remember distinctively, uh, I'm not sure if Monabo had, I think he's already said it, mm-hmm. or he put it on Twitter. Uh, the 2011 World Cup. Yes, I remember that. year, that. he was the number one bowler in the world. Yes. In the world, not just in South Africa. But yeah, ICC world. rankings. Yeah, ICC rankings. He was mm. number one bowler in the world. Um, and you get there by playing consistently for your team. You don't just get there. And um, at the World Cup, he didn't play. Mm. The one game that he did play was against a weak Bangladesh team at the time. I remember, I think he was man of the match, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Uh, but the rest of the tournament, they treated him like he was just a secondary player, like one of the bench guys. 
So I remember that specifically, um, just being very surprised and shocked at when he's starting. And then I remember Tani with the voucher, not voucher, I mean voucher that injured. Um, yes, I was very surprised. Did you take a, yeah, you take a wicket keeper, as a reserve wicket keeper, and when the main wicket keeper gets injured, you ask the batsman to go keep, and you keep coming on the bench. So clearly they had no confidence in him as an international player. They clearly in their heads took him there because he's just like, that's what it felt like to me. That's what it sounds like. If you're going to go into your third keeper and skip the guy who's a reserve, um, it doesn't make sense to me. Why would you even take him on tour if you're not going to play him in the, the other guy's injured? It's like if a soccer player gets injured, they leave the soccer player on the bench. I mean, the, the goalkeeper on the bench and they use one of the players to keep. Mm. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. So that's, that's, those are the two ones that stuck out. And I know you said some other stuff, Tony, but yeah, I just wanted to, yeah, the other stuff you were asking me about other players talking. Those yes. Are two of them that stick out. Yes, and those are. There was also the one of Aaron Pangi, so he was also picked uh, for for one of the World Cups, and he also did not play a single game there. And he was telling us on the show that he couldn't understand it. He doubted himself, and he was so shattered after that that he just. Who's that? Aaron Pangi. So. Oh, okay. okay. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. So when you were told that you need to wait for Makaya Ndini to step, what were the exact words, Monde? Because I was just uh, repeating what I wrote, but what exactly were you told? Well, the words, I think, were, well, basically we're looking to you to take over when Makaya finishes. Uh-huh. That's what we see going in the future. So uh, those pretty much the words, I mean, I just, this is like over 10 years ago, so I don't know exactly what for word, but pretty much was when Makaya is done, you're going to be the next guy. And, um, and I, I just, yeah, it just didn't come across. It's not the words you want to hear, basically. And ironically, Makai is black, and he was the only other black guy in the team at the time. So it just felt like it was a swap of the two black guys, basically. So and you wait your turn until the other guy comes in. Yes. And and you're saying at the time you didn't know what to make of it, but in hindsight now, it makes sense to well, you. Well, no, I knew then. I, I knew then what does that mean? I just, I, that's how I thought back then, how I feel now. It doesn't change mm. anything. I just, you know, but what are you saying? You know, okay, thanks, coach. I don't know. Um, it's hard to confront people at the time, especially when you're one of the younger guys who are still feeling their way into the team. Um, yeah, and I, and I think some of it is, some, some of it, I think media plays, not all media, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, some guys who have rights, some writers have intentions um, of not trying to talk very well about black players, and they'll try to push them down and put them down. I remember reading, um, in fact, I saw the article this year, in one of our WhatsApp groups with my friends, someone had posted something he'd, said, he'd read about, yeah, about 12 years ago, the trip to India. Um, the guy wrote that Mondo Zendeki knows he doesn't deserve to be on the touring team to India. Mm. Um, he knows he's just a quota player, and that's that's as big as insult you can get as a player. He's been told that you're only there because of the college you're You're not good enough to play. I mean, he doesn't get worse than that. He almost feels like I'd rather you call me the carrier than tell me that I'm only there because I'm black and I'm not good enough. Um, that's how insulting it is. So, yeah, those, those things are very dangerous because media is very influential, and people can read that and and immediately believe it and. Um, you know, I've been called a quota player before by people outside in the stands, the fans. I've actually, I do want to say this, I've never experienced that with players. Mm. Um, like Robin said, I think you said someone called Robin the Kavis. Yes, 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 he told us, yes. Yeah, yes. so that, yeah. See, I, again, Robbie played before me and he got there before me, so he might have been in the 90s. Um, and I personally never experienced that kind of racism. But certainly from people in the fans, fans and my discrimination and my gripe then, was with selection and how um, they let you out without explanations and how they treated you. Uh, when I say treated day, I mean management sometimes, coaches and selectors. Yeah, and I was going to get into the quota player, but uh, you, I think you've already touched on that there. And at the time then, um, did you try to speak out about these issues? Did you feel that there were platforms to speak out? Did you challenge any of these? No, the, the funny thing is, uh, I'll tell you why, because what happened, there's the two players who had actually felt that they weren't given the opportunity to play while, while they were on tour so with the sprint with the first team. Uh, one player was a color, a color guy, another guy was black. So I don't know if they'd want me to tell the story about the names, so I'll just keep the names out. Mm-hmm. Um, they felt like they were obviously treated badly or mis- mistreated. They went to 
they went to the right channels, right? You go to the CEOs or management or the people that are in charge of Cricket South Africa, um, and you go lay out their formal complaints. Um, what had happened to them is that nothing was done and nothing was said, so they went to the media to 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 to, to voice out their frustrations um, and their opinions about what happened within the team. And they both got suspended for a couple of games for speaking out of turn and something like that. So if that happens to those guys, then as a young guy, you don't feel like there is a, a place where you can go speak your heart and tell people um, that you're feeling hard done by. Because if you make it public, then um, you get punished for it. So you know, we didn't feel like, I, or at least I didn't feel like I had a platform for it at the time. And we've got a couple of tweets that are coming through here. Let me just acknowledge some of the tweets. If you're just joining us, we are speaking to Monde Zondeke, former Proteas uh, fast bowler, just talking about his experiences also um, in the national team and also what he's seen and what he's witnessed in the national team. And uh, Tami here says, of course, it's clear what Monde is saying. They said to him, he'll be replacing the black guy when he's done. There just was not space for another black guy. There's no question about that. It was not about how you felt, Monde Mchana. It was very clear there. And Tulani says, Please ask Monde what is the worst he has experienced as a player of color. Is there any other experience, Monde, when you think back now, maybe in hindsight, that when you look back at it, you like, I maybe here yeah, uh, this shouldn't have happened, or there was something sinister here. Uh, I think my last one. I mean, I, yeah, I just I'm going to say that compared to what Tommy and Makai went through, I don't think mine was as bad. But yeah, I think the one that, that the one that I yeah that took me back a while was um, I had played against Zimbabwe, and then we went into against the West Indies, and I played four test matches in a row. Mm. Um, one of them, I was man of the match, and other was four test matches. Um, so that was around about May when we went to the West Indies and came back. So for the first time in my career, I was ranked by ICC as the top 40 bowlers in, in the world, because I, I had done one of man of the match, and I went to the West Indies, and I had a really good tour in the West Indies. So automatically, in your mind, you're thinking... Of course, I'm going to the next tour because I had I've been like, I've been doing so well for the last couple of Test matches, um, and I was to Australia that that year, a couple of months later. Um, I wasn't even in the squad, so I probably would have understood more if I wasn't in the starting eleven. But to not even make the squad after everything I'd just done in the last four Test matches to me was yeah. And the only explanation I got was you're hanging there basically. You were close to being selected, but you just couldn't make it this time. Um, yeah, that'll be the other one. My 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 dad back then. Um, I was actually really hurt by that. Yes, it's, it sounds similar to what Robbie P was telling us last week that in one of the tours they went to Bangladesh and uh, he picked up a Pfeiffer and his next test match after that Pfeiffer was four years later and he couldn't understand why. But when he mm-hmm. thinks back. When he thinks back, he, a lot of things add up now. Uh, somebody says here, Monde, that um, can Monde tell us about his injuries? I'm trying to find that tweet. I'm sorry. Can't, I don't have your name at the moment. Oh, here it is. It's Slender Kool who says, I hope Monde can tell us the truth about his injuries. I'm still of a view that those were fabricated. What? He says your your injuries is, were fabricated and maybe you were not injured. No, you just... <laughs> <laughs> no that's a fast case. <laughs> I actually had injury problems throughout my, my career career since mm. I was in high school, actually. Um, my first major one was in high school. I had a back issue, and ironically, that's what ended my career. So injury-wise, yeah, I mean, my career was really tough starts because of injuries. I always used to get like, these little nagging injuries here and there um, that took me a while to recover from. And that was because my bowling action was a bit mixed. Mm. Um, and I only realized and tried to fix that way later, and it was a bit too late by that time. So, no, my injuries were real. Um that the doctor, the, not the doctor, sorry, the physio, um, who was a guy called Shane Jabal, who I knew very well from the under-19s, the colored guy, actually, and I know him very well, and we're still friends to this day. Um, he was a physio at the Cobras at the time, so when he looked at everything, he certainly, and my back was sore, so it just sounded like it was fabricated, but yeah, he certainly looked at it, mm-hmm. and we knew that um, it was going to be very hard for me to be the same player again if I tried to come back. And as we as we wrap up now, Monday, a lot of people will ask, why are players speaking now when they couldn't speak um, back in the day? Is there a right or a wrong time to speak, or do you understand why players are speaking out now? Yeah, so I, I don't think there's a right or a wrong time to, to, to speak. I, I think people should be always be comfortable uh, to speak when they want to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think people should be forced to do things that they are very uncomfortable doing. And also remember, um, as, as I said to you before, 
when guy did speak up before it was you know you were punished for it mm. and my thing was when Makai used to tell me these stories I always used to tell him that especially at his peak of his career um, that he realized how much power that he actually had because he had pretty much all of South Africa behind him and um, he was a very popular guy very um, well loved by everybody had he spoken about his frustration at the peak of his powers maybe things would have started to change back then but I always understood that He's never really been that type of guy mm. uh, to speak out about the things. I think he bothers them inside and he'll tell people privately. Um, and also, again, he had a career to protect. So you don't know what's, what's going to happen to you if you do. But I always felt that if there was someone who could um, speak out and inflict change, and they, they, they won't be able to say, well, you're not good enough to play anyway, so why are you speaking? He was in, especially at the peak of his powers. Um, but I always say people must speak when they feel like they can and they want to. And it's never too late, especially when you're thinking about the future um, of black cricketers in this country, of players of color, that is. Um, that we have a responsibility, I think, now to try to do something that we can make their lives easier when they are playing, um, so that they don't have to experience what we experienced. Because as I said, I'm in, I'm, I'm in the under-19s, and, and I still see some of that still going on today. So uh, we still have a long way to go, but never too late to do the right thing so I think it is a good time for people to tell their stories and hopefully we can all do something together as a country uh, to try and make you know, the lives of people better in terms of uh, how they treat treatment to get. Mm. Well, we're going to have to leave it there Mondezoneke thank you very much for taking our call thanks for speaking to us here on SAFM and for sharing your story and while I've got you on the line now, I want to ask this Did you were you really a flyer for Dale in the first team? No, I was a centre. Oh, you were a centre? Centre, yeah, centre. First team? First team, yeah, I went to Yes, okay, Monde. No, because I had some great stuff about your rugby and I read an article you did in the City Press with Simnikiwe Klavanisa where you played with the late Kaunda Ndunja and Sim went to Yeah, Dale. yeah, yeah. So rugby was actually my favourite sport at school. I loved rugby. Um, I think because most of my friends all played rugby and none of them played cricket with me. So I was a bit lonely at cricket wise. So rugby was, yeah, I loved rugby. And Dale was a very good school, so... I played 14 for two years, and I think the team in 99, we were number three in the country, actually, in my, my first year playing. So we are, we are a really good team. And I like my rugby, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks for speaking to us, Monde. All the best, mate. No, no, sure. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. That is Monde Zondeke there, just speaking to us about some of his experiences. In the national team, like the fact that they're saying that he couldn't play at the same time as Makayantini, uh, they actually saw him as somebody that would take over from Makayantini, even though he was one of the top wicket takers at the time and he was in a great season with the Cobras and he was the leading wicket taker at the time. And the other story that he shared with us, for those who've just joined us, is that um, also they went to the West Indies. He played in all four test matches, took a lot of wickets, but when the team had to go to Australia, he wasn't even part of the squad, let alone the starting 11, but he wasn't part of the squad. And they just said, hey, mate, just hang in there. Your chance will come. Your chance will come after Makayantini retires. Up next, we'll speak to Ambassador Ibrahim Rasul. I heard him on TV a couple of weeks ago and I thought he made some strong statements and we just wanted to explore what he said on TV and he will speak to us after this break. Leading sport stories of the day on SAFM. And let's now welcome Ambassador Ibrahim Rasul on the line. Ambassador, good evening and thank you very much for speaking to us here on SAFM this evening. Good evening to you and all your listeners. Thank you. I did mention that I did see an interview that you did on TV about two weeks ago, and uh, I just wanted to explore what you said there. But firstly, Ambassador, for those maybe who might have missed that, what do you make of the stories that have been shared by uh, black sportsmen over the past few weeks? Look, I have had the privilege to hear directly from actual Prince, from Peter Villiers, and a range of sports stars. And it was, in fact, in response to them on a broadcast by a sports coalition on Zoom that I said, in summary, what it was that um, I heard the pain that they had gone through. And so I was tasked to make sense of their pain and to respond to it. And that's where I came out with this idea of a five or six coordinates um, for a second transition in sport. But it's really, I didn't expect the strength of what they had to say um, because they were the products of a post-apartheid. They were not 
This was not 1960 or 70 or 80. This was 2000, 2010 that they were speaking of, and that was what was devastating. And I realized that we may have put the transformation of sport on the back burner in order to have a glue during our transition to hold the nation together, and sports people have suffered in silence. Now, you, you, you mentioned those pillars, Ambassador, Ambassador. Can you just talk to us about those pillars then? And I also heard you saying that we need a truth and reconciliation in sport. Look, I think that you can't hear so much pain and not get a sense that there are unresolved issues in sport that are persisting to today. And had the Black Lives Matter debate not been started by Lungi, I don't think we would have heard any of this. And so I thought that we needed what I call a clearing of the decks, the so-called truth and reconciliation um, process within sport so that we don't only look at sport over the last two decades, but even what happened during apartheid, because I see some people really enjoying all the benefits of a post-apartheid South Africa while having been perpetrators even during apartheid of racism and apartheid in sport. And so I think we need to clear the decks because it's only when we do that that we can move on to the second coordinate of really making a transition and a transformation meaningful um, in sport to return dignity to black sports persons and the history as well, to create unity in a true sense because it is now a unity that is not based on sweeping under the carpet, but now that we have spoken the truth to each other, let's reconcile and unite and then get down to grassroots as well. The, the opportunities that were denied blacks should not be denied to young people in our townships and we throw them away to drugs and gangs and crime and violence. And all of this starts with the fifth pillar that I've spoken about. How do we, as black sports administrators, not only be happy with the executive position to be the president or the vice president of the union, but also we want to be the CEOs and the COOs where the money comes together and therefore the sixth one, we need to be interested also in sport as business, not only sport as sport. And what do you mean by that, that sport as business? You see, I think that over the last 20 odd years, we have seen black administrators become presidents of rugby unions, soccer federations, etc. We've seen them vice presidents, we've seen them chairpersons. And when you then ask the question, but who's controlling the professional business arm? Who is negotiating contracts? Who is doing the recruitment of players? Who's deciding who has a two-year contract and who has a one-month contract? Um, then you begin to see that there's a completely different complexion in the management. And I think that we need to be interested not only in the executive positions, but we need to be in the heart of the financial management um, of the unions um, as well. If we are going to drive transformation and if there's going to be equity, for example, between the professional arm as well as the amateur arm, as well as the grassroots sports, as well as school sports, etc., etc. You, you also say, Ambassador, that the system is playing us and using words like black Africans to cause divisions amongst people of color. Uh, just to talk to us about that. Look, I think that we have always operated on the basis that apartheid sport was essentially white sport and that non-racial soccer sport was essentially black sport without subdivisions. I think we have allowed, for example, a situation in which um, there have been populists within sport that, and sometimes former perpetrators of apartheid in sport who now say, no, let's also make sure that we get so many black Africans, so many colored Africans, so many Indians in the team. We can't have too many. And so what is happening is that colored and Africans are having a standoff about who should be in the team and should we prefer a black African over a colored African. And then we miss completely who is getting the long-term contracts, who is the player 
that is selected every time and who are the rotational players in, in our teams. And we are fighting out for sub-quotas when, for example, we are losing the overall battle for the bigger quota because they have thrown a little um, distraction at us. Mm. For those who are just joining us, we're speaking to Ambassador Ibrahim Rasul just to uh, just uh, understand his six pillars that he was talking about on SAPC TV. He believes that we need a TRC uh, here and we need to heal from the past. So many years later, Ambassador, where did we miss it in the beginning? Because in the beginning, there were all these unity talks when South African sport was readmitted um, into the international scene. It seems like everything was looking good, but clearly uh, we are back to where we were. I made a very unpopular point when I listened to all of the sportspersons speak about their pain. And they almost felt that they had been abandoned, that they had been set up to fail because there was no true intent for unity and that, in fact, we were touring India in 92. We were playing the All Blacks and Australia before we had an election. And so, in a sense, my own position that I put there was that I believe that sportspersons were asked to make a sacrifice in the early 1990s in order to prevent counter-revolution, in order to make sure that we had sufficient glue in our society, enough reconciliation, that particularly the, the white communities felt that life would be better if they agreed to democracy because then the Springboks can play, they can play cricket, they can play rugby, they can play whatever sport, they wanted to play. And so in a sense, I think it was an important sacrifice that they made. I don't think that it was sold out. I think it was a sacrifice, a deliberate strategic decision that was made. It worked, but that is no reason for us to continue with that situation, especially given the microaggressions that our sportspersons face, the daily humiliations that they face, the fact that Makai Antini, a star performer, jumps to the cricket ground rather than take the bus because he's isolated, etc., etc., that you can have in this day and age so-called millennials almost, um, captains of, of, of our sports teams saying they didn't realize how they hurt others. Um, looking back, they should have done that. It means that we did not infuse a consciousness within those sporting generations, um, particularly of white people, um, into the system because they did not see the pain. And therefore, the idea of a truth-telling session is a very, very important one because, for example, if we don't tell the truth, commentators will forever quote the statistics of Graham Pollock, mm. but not the statistics of our stars. They will forever look at the record of tries of Fred Dupree, but not of Sally Fredericks. Um, of, um, of, 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 of the many sports people that came out of New Brighton to play for Kwaru, etc., mm. etc. Now, unless we reach that point where we can say the truth and they can recognize that we played at a level that was so high, but we were never showcased because we were always in the dusty townships while they were at Newlands, at Twickenham, and all of those kind of places, I think... We need that in order to shift the mindset of commentators as well, so that when they say this is the this is the tenth hat trick by a South African, they must not forget that Said Majid had also scored a hat trick um, when he bowled. So I think these are the kind of ways in which we must deal with it. I also think that we we must put people to test. Mm. I have no problem with someone like Ali Bakr producing TV shows, being the mediator of the conversations and so forth. But he was the captain of a cricket team that played Australia in the same year that South Africa was kicked out of the Olympics. He brought West Indies, the Sri Lankans, the Australians and the English to South Africa, not in the 1970s, but in the 1980s as there were states of emergency, as there were... Um, Treasures on the ground, the uprisings were, were, were raising. And the tactical moves he was making was to shift the opening game against Mike Gatting's cricketers 
away from East London because the protests would be stronger there and the protests would be lighter in Kimberley. And so I think that we need to, to discuss those kind of things. I think we need to discuss a direct player. I mean, Papua Sugalam mm. beat him in 1965. Now, Gary Player in 1966, when he wrote his book, he spoke about the blacks as the barbarians and the whites as keeping civilization going. He, Papua Sugalam beat him in 1965. I, I don't hear anything about Gary Player protesting about the fact that this man got his prize outside in the rain while they were inside in, in, the, in, the, in, in, in the cloakrooms. Yes, I remember. So how do, we, how do we overcome these kind of things? Let me just say one other thing. It's reported that Gary, Gary Player has a net financial worth of $250 million. Mm. In 1965, after Papua beat him, Papua was banned from playing by the apartheid government and earned 35 rand a month. Yes, and we actually if we don't speak. If we don't speak about this, we carry the hurt to the next generation. Yeah, and for those who want to find out more about the story of Papa Segulam, we actually did cover it. I think last year or the year before with his son, and you can find that podcast on Iono.fm. It is a painful story, as, as Ambassador Rasul mentions, that he had to receive his trophy outside the clubhouse in the rain because um, he was black and and no black people or no Indian people or non-white as they called them at the time which is not a term yeah. and should not be used they were not allowed in the clubhouse on that note ambassador rasul you mentioned some of the great sportsmen black sportsmen you mentioned those from new brighton there were the kayama jolas there were the frank Hoho, who actually scored a triple hundred is it fair then when we watch tv and we see these greatest south african teams of all times that will have a graham pollock a Barry richards a peter pollock and all these guys even though the majority of the country was not allowed to play for south africa because of the color of their skin can we really have a greater South African team of all time uh, when, when we had these situations? I don't think we can. And that's why we need to be able to teach our history. You know, there's an African saying, until the lions have their own historians, history of hunting will always glorify the hunter. That is the power differential in sport today. And we need to ensure that we rewrite the statistics books so that um, a Kasim Jabbar can compete with whoever they put in as the greatest scrum-off. I mean, Norman Koko, I think here's a fly-off like was magical mm. that I happened to see in Athlone Stadium playing against Western Province, Sakos. And so I think we've got to rethink this and we've got to claim our space. But it can only happen when we reach that moment of humility. That moment in which we sit down, not to punish each other, but simply to tell the truth and to create a new basis for unity. A unity in which that kind of idea of Saubona, I see you, or we see you, we recognize you, we see the humanness in you, we empathize with your pain, that we want to hear your truth, we want to include you in the way in which we write up the new sports statistics of South Africa, unless we reach that moment. I think you can be the greatest bowler like Makai Antini was and still be faced with daily humiliations. And on, on that note, I mean, some of the people that have been mentioned when these sportsmen are sharing their stories are now in charge of South African cricket or they're still in charge of South African cricket. What does it say about the system? And also, do you think that they've been that they, they, they've responded to these uh, allegations or they've responded to these stories that, 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 that have been shared? I don't think they've ever been put under pressure to recognize the humanity of their fellow players. They have not dealt always with us as human beings. They've dealt with us as quotas. They have made as if they were so magnanimous with us to include us in the team. And so often they put us in as quotas. Um, and, 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 and then quota became the new humiliation. They almost made it clear that a other white was not chosen because they had to chose a black wing. Um, and so I think we need, we don't want to throw them out. Mm. We don't want to get rid of them. We don't even want to punish them. 
but there must be this moment of humility, this moment of recognition that can be the basis for how we rethink. Because I'm afraid that we will have a backlash, like Black Lives Matter is having this backlash, backlash because you can hear in a Buddha Dipanar, in a Pat Simcox, you are not hearing humility. You are not hearing the idea that they could excel because there was someone else who was kept out of the national team by virtue of his color. Um, that they were given the advantages while someone else didn't even have a, a turf wicket um, at their schools. And so I think we need this kind of clearing of the decks so that we can move forward. Is there a will, though, Ambassador, especially from those in charge? I'm taking a lot of hope from the Minister of Sports and Culture um, when he says that he's heard the pain and something must be done. I take a lot of hope from the fact that, um, that, that, that administrators like Graham Smith are saying we didn't know and we will do better. I'm taking a lot of hope um, from the idea that people like Francois Pina is willing to take on criticism from his own community because he supports Black Lives Matter. So there's a lot of it. And most importantly, I'm taking a lot of hope by the fact that our great sports stars of the day, the Makayan team is the actual prince, um, and all of them are finding their voice and that they are able to say what happened to them, able to put the country, take the country into their confidence. We can understand that in those years, the power differential was such that all the power was in the hands of the administrator and they had to toe the line. But now that Black Lives Matter has burst this onto the scene, we are seeing people finding their voice, speaking out, and maybe this is the hope that I think we've been looking for in order to drive a change. And so many people are so happy, Ambassador, that you are speaking out. Terry says um, Ambassador was in the trenches during apartheid and uh, uh, he was there. This is such a good interview and a reminder for our great uh, sportsmen. Sadly, we have the resmatazes of this world who acted like barris when they had the power to change things. And Kabelo Muremi says uh, Ambassador is more vocal than even the sports minister himself. When we reshuffle, we should uh, uh, make sure that he's part of the cabinet and they appreciate the fact that you're speaking out ambassador and uh, you're using this platform uh, to also share your views and thank you for speaking to us and we'll continue giving you a call just to pick your brain as we try to find solutions and as we try to move forward here thank you very much Tabiso, for opening up this very important topic Thank you. Thank you very much, Ambassador Ibrahim Rasul. There, We're going to continue these discussions. Um, it doesn't end here because I know that the group, we spoke to Hussein Manak recently and uh, the group also met with the CSA and uh, they did release a statement about uh, that. So we'll also get into that when we have time uh, next week. Remember tomorrow, it is part two of our conversation with Mr. Omar Henry, the former Proteus spinner, the first uh, black player to play for the Proteas post-isolation. We couldn't finish his story um, last Friday because it was just too much. Most people didn't even know that he had played for Scotland before South Africa was readmitted into the international scene and is a Hall of Famer in Scotland with over 60 caps for Scotland. And uh, they say he's one of the people that broke down uh, when these uh, stories were being shared by black cricketers and when he was in one of the meetings with Cricket South Africa and the Minister of Sport. So we'll bring back Mr. Omar Hendry tomorrow between 6 and 7 on a Friday.